quite unusual. Hello and welcome to the Quite Unusual podcast. We are your hosts. I am Noelle. And I am Nicole. And this is part two of our Skinwalker Ranch series. Yes, it is. Um, Let's do a little recap before we jump into it. Yeah? Agreed, yes. Okay. So last week, we talked about the history behind the area known as the Uintah Basin. The area was once settled by Native American tribes called the Utes and the Navajo until it was decimated by the slave trade bought just kidding, slaves are bought, but decimated by the slave trade brought by Spanish colonizers and then was just kind of finished off by the U.S. government because yeah, that's what they do. That's, that's what they do. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> right. This led to a need for the Navajo specifically to protect themselves, so they started using magic necrophilia Ooh. and cannibalism to turn into Ooh. skinwalkers. Yeah. Skinwalkers became truly evil witches and started to terrorize the area. Then we kind of got into like the UFO flap. Mm, Love a flap. flap. Love a flap. Which is basically like a whole heap of UFO sightings. And that hit the area super hard in the 60s and the 70s. Yes. If you haven't listened to part one, I would highly recommend starting there as there's a ton of background information that leads up to the story that we're going to tell today. I mean, like, we're only just getting into the story of the actual ranch that is Skinwalker. Right. The the story that kind of put the ranch on the map, if you will. For sure. Um, I have to point something out, though. Okay. Since we always talk about synchronicities. Yes. So I got up this morning. I made myself a delicious omelet. Jealous. With, with cheese and tomato. It was very good. I sat down in front of the TV to eat it. And I was flipping through channels, and I saw that the Osbournes Want to Believe was on, which... Sharon! Exactly. It's a new show. And I'm like, oh, sweet. Like, I've always wanted I've wanted to watch this. Check this out. So I turned it on. The very first thing that they talk about mm-hmm. is Skinwalker Ranch. No way! Yes. Sharon Ozzy? Yes. What? Yeah. Apparently, Jack has been there. And he had they, he had a video where they found like a blinking light in the sky. Okay. And they shine a laser pointer at it, and <laughs> then the thing just like disappears. Oh, that's pretty classic Skinwalker Ranch right. right there. Yeah. So he also says that he, I guess, flew a drone over the area, and his yeah. drone just like fell out of the sky what? and like broke for no reason. So a UFO hit it, probably. Definitely, or Skinwalker like jumped up and grabbed it. Yeah, like Airbud. <laughs> Well, they can turn into any animal. That's so. true. Airbud is a possibility. They specifically turned into Airbud, not a golden retriever. <laughs> Airbud. They were wearing a jersey and everything. You have to if you're Airbud. You have to. Did you know? Here's my uh, Osborne fact of the day. Yeah, there are three Osborne children. Yeah, Amy, the older sister. Oh, yeah. She, I was super obsessed with that. Uh, the Osborne show. What was it called? Was it just called The Osborne? It was called The Osborne's. Yeah, I was super obsessed with that show. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, my dad used to work for them. Really? Yeah, and what? Yeah, and he said that like Amy wanted nothing to do with it. Yeah. Yeah. She also looks nothing like them. No. She's very pretty. She's extremely pretty <laughs> and not to like uh, be these people here, but mm. the rest of the family not super cute. Yeah, Kelly Kelly got cuter, but when she was younger, she was not cute. No. What did your dad do for the Osbournes? Um, he used to be like a roadie for... Uh, what? Oh, he, yeah. This is the coolest shit I've ever heard. You definitely know this story. Come on. No. My, okay, my dad was a roadie for like, oh my God, tons and tons of bands. Wh- what? Yeah, like... Like Phil Collins, White the White Snake. Uh, my dad's. <laughs> I think he's in a Prince video. Your dad is in a Prince for video. like one second. They needed someone to like repel from. God, it might be White Snake. I'll. What? You know what? I'm gonna oopsie doopsie round up myself on okay. this one for the next episode. Okay. Yes. Please. But they needed someone to like repel from like the ceiling of the stage in like a weird costume, yeah. and he like did it. So he's in it for like six seconds. Oh my god. Yeah. Um. We have to find that clip and post it. <laughs> Um, my mom was friends with like a backup singer for Phil Collins and she like brought my older brother a teddy bear or something. I don't know. They have like a really? thousand stories. Yeah. Um, well, f- let's stop with this podcast and just have like a story time with your mom and dad podcast. Dude, they're very cool people. 
my Tales parents from the road yeah no shit um my uncle did it too he worked for a lot of cool bands like the pretenders they're like the best he, <laughs> they made him walk five thousand miles is it 500 miles 500 miles well yeah. they made him walk 5,000 to see if a human man could do it and then my uncle died r.i.p chet no just kidding he's alive <laughs> but anyways so that's um well that's insane i guess that's uh tangent corner for the day <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so i'm just gonna say it without further ado nicole uh take it from here to the actual story of what we're talking about today on the podcast and not my family <laughs> reunion okay are you ready to be super bored and put to sleep by the story of the sherman family um it's so boring nothing happens you might fall asleep yeah i'm not even interested in this disclaimer (laughs) okay we got we got a review on stitcher um that said that we're the most boring podcast someone's ever listened to and they like fell asleep or something during it so i don't know how you fall asleep because all i fucking do is scream (laughs) (laughs) like i don't know how you're sleeping through this maybe you have like a herd of toddlers that live in your house or something (laughs) But I just scream incessantly for like an hour and a half into people's ears. Well, it's putting some someone to sleep. I, I am so sorry, but I'm also, you're welcome. Okay, you're welcome because now you don't have to take Ambien anymore. Right? Exactly. You should be thankful. You should be thanking us. All right. So now we're going to get into the super boring, but not really boring. It's not boring at all. It's so actually. cool. It's my favorite part of the whole story. Yeah. So before we get into it, I want to say that the book that we got a lot of our info from, The Hunt for the Skinwalker, which we mentioned in the first part. Mm -hmm. So there's another book called The Utah UFO Display. Yes. And that is written by Dr. Salisbury. So that book was written before The Hunt for the Skinwalker. So that kind of happened before all of this stuff happened with the Shermans and actually... Dr. Salisbury went back and kind of updated the book. So when he did, Dr. Salisbury contacted Terry Sherman after, you know, he did his book. And he kind of asked Terry, you know, these stories in The Hunt for the Skinwalker, are they true? Mm -hmm. And Terry said that the stories in The Hunt for the Skinwalker were embellished a little bit. However, none of them were wrong. Well, it's sort of like, you know, when... You make a Salisbury steak, right? Right. And it's delicious because it's a Salisbury steak. Nicole's a vegetarian, so she's making a very (laughs) gross face right now. But you have a Salisbury steak, right? Just come with me on this ride. Mm -hmm. And you're like, hmm, this is a little bit, like, it's good. It's delicious. (laughs) But it's a little boring and can use some spicing up. So then you put on some delicious brown gravy. Mm. Now you got yourself a Salisbury steak. It's still a Salisbury steak. It's just got a little extra gravy. It's a little embellished. That's that's kind of like what this story is. Basically. So everything happened. Some things are embellished, I guess. Okay, so we've talked about the land. We've talked about the beef between the Utes and the Navajos. We know how to become a skinwalker if you Ooh. really want to go down that road, which I don't think you do. Call me if you do. Call, <laughs> call 1-800. I'm turning into a skinwalker, and I will pick up the phone. That's the hotline. And I was super curious. <laughs> But now it's time to take a big, juicy bite of that paranormal stew we talked about. And it's time to get into the story that put Skinwalker Ranch on the map. The story that sort of blew the lid off of the stew. And that is the story of the Sherman family. We're making like a lot of references to to food. Specifically like beef products. Meat. Well, I mean... There's a lot of cows in this story. It is a a cattle ranch. That's true. So it's fitting. Disclaimer here. If you are familiar with the story, or maybe you've heard it done on another podcast, you may have heard a different name used, such as the Gorman family or the Gilman family. Those names were used as synonyms to protect the family's identity when everything first happened. Yeah, when I was doing research for this, um, they were I found a lot of stuff like contemporary articles yeah. calling them the Sherman family. I was like, who the mm. fuck are the Shermans? Because <laughs> yeah. they don't call them the Shermans in Hunt for the Skinwalker. No, they don't. They call them the Gormans. So I was like, whoa, there were two families? What's going on here? And then I felt like a real fucking dum-dum <laughs> when I realized that it was the same family. And they were in witness protection, basically. And then it just yeah. got blown open. Yeah, so I mean... A simple Google search can tell you that it's the Shermans. Google it. 
so I mean, I feel com- I don't feel, you know, uncomfortable saying that. I think at this point, anyone can figure out what it is. So yeah. if you were going to pick like another name to go by, which I know you already have one locked and loaded here. I do. You have to. I know. Let's... I know you too well to know that if I didn't say, if I didn't introduce you, like, and this is my friend, and we were in like a weird setting, and you oh. had to like come up with a name on the spot. Oh, for sure. Would, yeah. Why would you fucking choose Gorman? <laughs> it's so. It's like close enough to Sherman, I guess. I it's don't know. gross. Yeah. Well, Gorman. Gorman. It's me, Tomald Gorman. Tomald. I don't know. They call him Tom Gorman. I do want to point out, though, that these people wanted to hide their identity. So they didn't want fame. They didn't want people to know who they were. So just keep that in mind while we're going over their story and their experiences, because I think it's easy for us just to say, well, they wanted money. They wanted fame. But they didn't get either of those things. No one that reports any sort of paranormal phenomenon ever wants money or ever wants fame. Mm -hmm. Straight up, dude, it ruins your freaking life. Exactly. We see this over and over and over again with UFO stories and ghost stories and shit. It just ruins your life. Yeah. People think you're crazy. Yeah. If you listen to part one, you know that prior to the Sherman family, Skinwalker Ranch was owned by Kenneth and Edith Myers, and they lived on the ranch from 1934 to 1987. Kenneth and Edith lived alone. They had no children and were sort of hermits. There's no reported sightings of paranormal accounts that we have from the Myers. They never called the cops about skinwalkers or UFOs or anything like that. From the outside, it seemed like they lived a pretty quiet life out there in the middle of nowhere. Seems like it. Seems like it. Dun, dun, dun. Although, it seems like the townsfolk knew that they had been experiencing some sort of weird stuff. Like Noelle mentioned in part one, Junior Hicks was given Edith's name as a person of interest to talk about experiences that had happened on the land. He just never had the opportunity to get to her because everyone in the town wanted to tell him about all of the crazy shit that was going on. So the Myers vacated the property in 1987. In 1994, Edith Myers passed away. Rip. Yeah, she was 88 years old. Wow. Yeah, she lived a long, long time. Kenneth died in 1987, which is when they moved off of the property. Edith was moved to a retirement home. And I mean, they were in the middle of nowhere. So she was old. It's not safe for her to be out there by herself. No, for sure. Um, I just watched this <laughs> tangent corner. Um, I just watched this movie on Netflix. That was yeah. It's like a horror movie. It's called I Am the Pretty Thing Inside the House. Oh, yeah. Did you ever watch that? I didn't like it. I turned it off. Well, I, I watched think midway through. Yeah, I watched the entire thing, but it's basically this story. It's like an old lady like that lives alone, <laughs> and then like a young woman comes to take care of her in the middle of nowhere. And yeah, it's like a haunting, a haunting. Mm-hmm. Are there skinwalkers? Um, or just ghosts? No, there is exactly one scary scene in the movie. That's why I turned it off, and it wasn't good. <laughs> That's why I turned it off. So, anyways, sorry. <laughs> so, in 1994, after Edith passed. The property was passed on to Garth Myers, who was the brother of Kenneth, and he sold it to the Sherman family. When the Shermans purchased the property, there was a clause in the sale that stated that the new owners, the Shermans, needed to contact the previous owners, Garth Myers, to party on. (laughs) To party on. (laughs) No, so they needed to contact him if they intended to dig on the land. They had to get permission for where they could and couldn't dig, even though they had owned the property. They bought the property. Yeah. But if you remember from part one as well, the Locke family, who had been on the land before Kenneth and Edith, had a strange visitor. Remember the dazzling blue bodysuit? Oh, I forgot about him. Right. And he told them where they should and shouldn't dig as well. I've never not trusted a man in a dazzling blue (laughs) bodysuit. Never in my life have I ever questioned their judgment. You should never question a man in a dazzling blue bodysuit. No. Ever. Never, ever. Ever. Garth Myers, and I want to give you just kind of like a brief lowdown on this guy. So Garth Myers did not believe in anything paranormal. He discredited everything. He didn't believe that anyone was seeing anything happening in the Utah Basin. Like, 
anyone, even despite all of the people coming forward. Yeah, it was super crazy. Garth was like, oh, this is my wife. Her name is Latoya. Latoya <laughs> Myers. <laughs> yes, she might look like a little green alien, but in fact, she's British. Because he was straight up married to an alien, but he just didn't believe in aliens. I, yeah, I believe it. And I Latoya, it. her real name was not Latoya. <laughs> okay. It was like A37 point blurp. Blurp. <laughs> A37 point blurp. And she was just like an alien that lived there. And she lived with Garth, her legally bound husband. Mm-hmm. And he was just totally like. He refused to believe it. She's a regular British woman. That's why she eats live animals. It's fine. She always wants to probe me, but that's just a British thing. He was just like, did not want to believe anything paranormal was happening. No, he thought it was all just a bunch of bullshit. And he also claims that his brother and his sister-in-law never told him about anything strange that happened on the ranch. But, I mean, if you know who your brother is and you know he's no fun and doesn't believe in any of this shit... Why would you tell him anything about it in the first place? So who knows? Garth also had an explanation about the digging clause. He claimed that the reason they had to get permission to dig was due to oil rights. See, Kenneth and Edith owned the rights to any oil that was discovered underneath the land, Mm. even though they sold it to the Shermans. So if the Shermans discovered any oil on their property, it would technically belong to the Myers. Apparently, this is a common thing out West, which honestly doesn't seem fair to me. You know, like to me, if I bought this land, I want to own all of it. You know, like, fuck you. This is my oil. I'm moving to Beverly Hills. This is my Texas tea. I'm sorry. I don't know what reference you're making. The Beverly Hillbillies? Never heard of them. Are you serious? I've never heard of them. But now that you're saying it out loud, that sounds exactly like my Uncle Jeb. Well, <laughs> who struck oil and moved to so, Beverly Hills. So you know the story. And my grandmother, they didn't have enough room in the truck. Um, so my Aunt Ellie Mae strapped her to the roof on her little rocking chair and they drove all the way to Beverly. Are, are you sure you've never heard this story before? No, but if this is like a well-known thing, I'm going to have to call my uncle because I'm pretty sure someone <laughs> is pirating his life story. Well, apparently so. I mean, if you've never heard of that story. Never heard of it. Never heard of it. Okay. That's what we're going to go with. Now, while the part of the oil rights and the digging, that might be true. It's also said that Kenneth was sort of a freak about where you could dig on his property while he was alive. And he has been known to say, bad things could happen if you dig in the wrong part. (laughs) That's a direct quote, by the way. In 1994... Terry, Gwen, and their two children, they had a teenage son and a nine-year-old daughter. They move on to the property. The Shermans were Mormon cattle ranchers from New Mexico, and they were seeking an even smaller community than they had had in New Mexico. So they moved from one small town to another even smaller town to get away from, end quote, gossip. I'm sorry, gossip? I'm not sure what kind of gossip was happening, but I'm wondering if maybe since they were Mormons, they oh. were ostracized. I I didn't find any concrete evidence that claimed that. That's just kind of like my guess. Okay, so like people you know? in like their little New Mexico town were making fun of like their devil-proof underwear. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay, that makes total sense. Exactly, mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. 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 The Shermans arrived on the property and they soon find some weird stuff. That's already happening. So first they discovered that the Myers had put deadbolt locks on all of the doors and windows on the inside and on the outside of the home. Whoa. Strange, but maybe they were super into security, right? Okay, I'm wondering though, these locks on the outside of the house, do they lock from the outside of the house? I would assume. So what if someone locks you in your own house? (laughs) The mailman's like, I'm going to pull a little prank on Gwen and Terry. And he like locks them in their house. He's like, get your mail. You can't get it. That's a, that's a possibility. I never thought of that, actually. I mean, yeah, yeah. If it's a deadbolt. On the outside of on your the house. Outside of your how house. do you open it if you get locked in? I don't know. Maybe he like had to punch holes through all the windows and stuff. <laughs> and then put more locks because he had just that's punched what it all. Was. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He just kept punching through all the. <laughs> it's a never ending cycle. It's so sad. They even discovered 
that the kitchen cabinets had bolts on them, which is even more strange because Utah isn't really known for earthquakes. It's not California. So why the logs? Gotta keep those cans of beans in there. (laughs) They also found at both ends of the house, giant iron stakes with heavy chains attached to them. It's unclear if the Myers maybe used this for a dog or another animal, or if it was used as like a barrier post for a fence. I did read somewhere that the Myers used to have giant dogs that they would chain up. Yeah, I read that too, that they would tie one at like the front door, one at the back door. Right. So for even more protection, Mm, I'm... Maybe. But the question is from what? (gasps) Garth claims that he never saw any of the locks on the doors and that the front door was so flimsy he could kick it open. However, neighbors corroborated the fact that the Myers did have strange locks. So you can go to hell, Garth. That's right. You and LaToya can go to hell. (laughs) LaToya's fine. She can stay. So sorry, LaToya. You're cool. The very first strange encounter that the Shermans experienced on the land was actually on the first day that they moved in. Welcome. The Shermans were outside when they spotted a large wolf in the distance approaching. And when I say large, I mean like three times the size of a normal wolf. And this wolf had dazzling blue eyes, like Zoe Deschanel blue would you, eyes. Would you say that his eyes were almost as dazzlingly blue as the bodysuit? As the bodysuit. I would say equally as dazzling. Would you say that Zoe Deschanel's eyes were as dazzling as a bodysuit or more dazzling? Mm, less dazzling. What? Okay, so it goes like bodysuit, wolf eyes, Zoe Deschanel eyes. Yeah. All right, that checks yeah. out. <laughs> the wolf made its way over to the family in an extremely calm manner. He even let the family pet him. Mind you, this is supposed to be a wild wolf. And the family is just straight up petting it. I absolutely would not be petting that wolf. No. The wolf then nonchalantly walks over to a fence where a young calf had his head sticking out. The wolf grabs the calf by its snout and starts to bite and try to pull this poor baby through the bars of the fence. No. I know. Now, Terry is a cattle rancher, but some of his animals were show animals. So we're talking like top tier animals, expensive as fuck. Yeah, I saw somewhere that they I mean they had breeding animals. Breeding, yeah, breeding Angus beef or something. Yeah, cows. and they were worth literally thousands right. of dollars. Mm-hmm. So these are like I mean, all their money is basically yeah. tied up in like little cows. Exactly. Yeah. Pretty much. <laughs> Terry and his son run to the calf and the wolf and they just begin to hit the wolf with the butt of an axe. They kick him, they're hitting him, they're punching him. They're doing everything to try to get this animal to let go, right? But nothing is working. So Terry tells his son to get his 357 Magnum from out of his truck, which for all of you non-gun guys, it's just like a handgun. I'm not a gun guy. Me neither. I had to look it up. It's just picture like a handgun. Okay. Terry shoots the wolf in its side and nothing happens. It doesn't cry out. It doesn't bleed. It just continues to pull on the calf. Confused, Terry then pulls out a bigger and more lethal hunting rifle. Okay. The 30 out 6 God damn it, boy. Get the 30 out 6 <laughs> Terry shoots the wolf again and again. This time, a chunk of the animal comes off. So, like, he's blowing chunks of flesh off of this animal. Off this giant wolf. Yes. The wolf finally lets go, but there's still no blood, and the wolf doesn't seem phased at all. Whoa. I read that he shot the wolf five times with a hunting rifle at point-blank range, right? Right. And it should have been enough to bring an elk down, and this wolf is just like, whatever. I mean, chunks are flying off of him, and he's as cool as a cucumber. Whoa. (laughs) All right, so this... This giant-ass wolf, like, Jacob Black style, trots yeah. over. dire wolf. Dire wolf style. You know that those are real animals? Or they were? Really? Dire wolves, like, actually existed. Like, oh, Paleolithic style. Oh. We're going to hear from cool everyone that knows that it's not Paleolithic, <laughs> so I'm so sorry, you guys. But they're, like, super, super old. Like, yeah. I sound like an idiot. Like, dinosaur days. Yeah, right. Um, yeah. So like this, a saber tooth, but, like, a wolf. Yeah. Like a saber wolf. So the saber wolf trots over and he's like, hey, it's going to get a little petsies. They pet him. Um, He bites one of their million dollar cows. Yeah. 
they blow chunks off of this animal with a gun. And he's like, oh, that was my favorite chunk. He just like lets go and stares at them. Like, are you serious right now? Right. My favorite chunk. My favorite chunk. After six shots from the hunting rifle, the wolf lets go, stares at the family, and then just strolls off back to where it came from. Terry and his son decide to track the wolf, so they track him for about a mile until the prints in the mud just stop and vanish out of nowhere. Wow. Yeah, so they have no idea where this animal that should be harmed and bleeding at this point, which it isn't. They have no idea where it is. I saw that they tracked it over to like sort of like a creek, Mm -hmm. and it was super muddy like all along the creek bed, and then it was just gone. Yeah, just the prints just stopped. Yeah. A few weeks later, Gwen Sherman, Terry's wife, experiences another wolf encounter. Gwen was just driving happily along the property in her Chevy Chevette when she notices another wolf, three times larger than the size of a normal wolf. So once again, Jacob Black from New Moon or a dire wolf. I looked up how big a wolf was. Because yeah. they're like dog-sized. Yeah, it's like like a German, German shepherd. shepherd. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, jinx, we're so cute. <laughs> Gwen claims that the wolf's head was higher than the roof of her Chevette. And for all of you guys that don't know what a Chevy Chevette is, it's like, what, like a beetle, like a little sedan with like kind of a hatchback type thing happening. Yeah, yeah we had to look it up because we didn't know what this was <laughs> yeah. and it sounded stupid. They're actually pretty cute. It's like a little, like... Like a little car. Yeah, think like of like a, a 90s boxy, yeah, type yeah, of thing. Yeah, like that sort of size. Right. So these are just two of the many instances where the Sherman family claims have seen these large wolves on their property. They, they spotted these wolves like multiple times. This, these are just two instances. Yikes. So Gwen, she goes to the nearby the Ute Reservation. She asks to speak with... I guess she goes to their tribal offices. It's what they call it in the book. She speaks with someone in charge and she tells them about this wolf. Like there's these giant wolves on my property. I need help, blah, blah, blah. The elder or the person in charge kind of looks at her really weird. And he says, we haven't had wolves in 70 years. The last wolf was killed in the 30s. Wow. So they don't really live in Utah. Very rarely is one spotted. Their population was wiped out by hunters. Oh, like, that's so sad. Yeah. Apparently now they brought them back or they're trying to reestablish their population. Yeah, there's like this whole show on like Nat Geo or something where they reintroduce them. It's so cool. But at the time, nobody was seeing wolves where wolves weren't really known to be living in Utah. Right, let alone, like, prehistoric dire wolves the size of a Chevy Chevette. Right, that you're constantly seeing on your land. Like, this was weird. So along with the wolf sightings, the Shermans also reported seeing a bunch of just weird animals on the property in general that shouldn't have been there. Like sea sponges everywhere. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Animals such as sea sponges, probably. (laughs) exotic birds and hyenas that were obviously not native to Utah. And they also spotted giant creatures resembling Bigfoot. Yes. Besides the large wolf sightings, other odd instances were plaguing this poor family. They started to experience poltergeist-like activity. I learned what poltergeist is today. I know it's a ghost. That sounded so stupid. (laughs) Do you know it's a German word? No. What do you mean? Geist means spirit. And polter okay. means like haunting or something. A haunting spirit. Oh. Yeah. I had no idea. That checks out. I was watching, <laughs> um, there's this amazing show. I just keep interrupting with all these shows I'm watching, but no, I'm like okay. in full Halloween mood. I need recommendations. Keep there, them coming. <laughs> there's a show called Wellington Paranormal by Jermaine Clement and Taika Waititi yeah. that did. <laughs> it's yes. amazing. So it's about the two cops that are in the original What We Do in the Shadows. Yeah. You know where they go in the basement and yes. she's like, this guy's not having any fun. And he's like super dead. <laughs> um, so it's like a spinoff with these two cops and they like are investigating like paranormal stuff in Wellington, New Zealand. Yeah. It's so fucking good. I'll share it with you. That's awesome. I'll have to check it out. Yeah. But they're, sure. they're talking about poltergeist and... Um, my partner speaks German, and he's just like, ah, yes, das Portugeist. And I was like, I'm sorry, what was that, Hitler? <laughs> I did not know he spoke German. Yeah, and he's just like, oh, yeah, it's a German word. And then he like, I don't know. Wow. 
Yeah. So mm. all of our German listeners out there, hey. Does it actually mean what I just said it means? Please <laughs> tell me. We'll just oopsie doopsie around up there if it doesn't. <laughs> so they start to experience poltergeist-like activity. Things would go missing and show up in random places. The pepper would mysteriously be in the salt shaker, and the salt would mysteriously be in the pepper shaker. So real fucked up shit. Dude, I'm just picturing (laughs) Terry sitting at the table. Gwen puts down a plate of fried eggs, and he's like, pass me the salt, youngin. And his son passes in the salt, and he's shaking it on his eggs, and it's fucking pepper, and he's just like, Damn it, woman, what did I tell you about giving me the goddamn pep on my eggs? Right. It actually got so bad to the point where they would have to just test it in their hands first to see what it actually was. Because then I think they tried to like reverse it to put like the salt in the pepper on purpose, but then it would just flip back. Okay, so so then it was the right way. So they're trying to trick the yeah, poltergeist. But it, it yeah, so they just had to literally like put some out in their hand every time they used it of all the hauntings that would be the most fucking annoying right. the worst stab me in the middle of the night ghost i don't care but if you're gonna switch my salt and pepper mm-mm, i'm calling a priest right oh and the doors in the cabinets started to open and close on their own oh which explains the locks and bolts on everything makes sense yeah one day Mrs. Sherman came back from the grocery store and started to unpack and put all the groceries away. When she was done, she goes to the bathroom, comes back to the kitchen, only to find that all of her groceries that she had just put away had been put back into the bags and unloaded. I would fucking scream. <laughs> right. First, this salt and pepper scenario, and now my ice cream is melting on the fucking countertop. <laughs> Exactly. And I know I put it away. Precisely. I, I would fume. I would be so upset. Yeah, I mean, screw the giant wolves. This is like the worst. I don't even care. Like, eat the cows. I don't care at this point. Stop taking the beans back out of the cabinet. <laughs> Things started off slow, but then they started to escalate. So first it's the groceries, it's the salt, it's the cabinets. <laughs> then... Terry was working in the pastures using a post hole digger. Terry goes to grab something, comes back. The post hole digger is gone. Okay. A post hole digger is not a small object. We're talking a 70-pound piece of machinery. I looked it up online also because I don't know what a post hole digger looks like. Well, you're not a farmer, so Exactly. Yeah. So it's not a small, it's not an easily like carried away, hidden, ha-ha-ha joke type of thing. Terry thinking maybe the kids were trying to pull an old fast one on him. He just lets it go. He's like, whatever, it's gone. Until weeks later, he finds the post hole digger sitting in a tree 20 feet in the air. And Terry starts to realize that the things going on are not a joke. No, and we'll see later in the series um, that this is pretty important. He sees it up in a tree about 20 feet in the air. And this is going to be something that recurs over and over and over. Right. Shit is going to happen 20 feet above the ground (laughs) in the fucking trees on Sherman Ranch. At night, sometimes the entire field would just light up out of nowhere, almost as if it were like a football stadium, though they didn't have any lights like that out there. Wow. So super random. A musk-like odor would sometimes float through the house. I won't make a fart joke right now. I was going to say, we don't know. We don't know. We don't know, okay. They're cattle ranchers. They're eating lots of beans. We've established that. The, co- the counters, the cabinets, beef. full of beans. Stew's happening. Salisbury steak's happening. Yeah, all These over people the people are eating too much protein. You don't know. Laser beams would also be seen coming from the sky. Or I guess um, like a tractor beam. Like, they, it would, they'd see it shoot down and, like, steal, like, lift up cows. Like, you know, the classic yeah. UFO. Like, the UFO the, thing. Yeah, exactly. So that would happen all the time, too. Wow, what a stereotype. Yeah. So activity like this continues to happen until one day, Terry's son, Tad, which is not his real name. It's the name used in the book. Well, he is a child, so we'll honor that Right. For sure. And, I mean, I couldn't really find what his actual name was. I don't think anyone's going out, like putting Tad on blast. So we're just going to call him Tad. So Tad is tasked with moving some poles, him and his friends. 
heavy poles. It's not, it's like fence posts or something, you know, yeah. like whatever you would move. That's a pole on a cattle ranch. Yeah, like a five foot long two by four. Right. Made out of metal or iron or some shit. So Tad and his friends, they move all these poles. They complete the job. Terry comes home. And he's like, why didn't you move these poles? And Tad's all, like, confused. He's like, Dad, we did. But, Dad, we did move the poles. Exactly. But they go out, and all of the poles that they had moved are back to the area where they had originally been. Okay. So the activity is starting to get a little stronger. This is like the salt and pepper, but, like, way amplified. Way amplified. The Shermans also reported hearing machine noises coming from inside the ground that sounded as if it were churning up the earth. Whoa. Sometimes they'd hear voices in the air above them while they were working the fields. That's so scary. Super scary. At first, they thought it was just an echo of a radio, but it was coming from above them. And remember, they're they're in the middle of nowhere. So it's not like they have a neighbor within like even viewing distance at this point. Right. Terry described the language that they heard as choppy and a cross between... Russian and Native American. And I'm not sure how to even picture that sound in my brain. I don't, I do not know. I was going to say you're our resident uh, accent guy. <laughs> I don't, I don't even know. So, if you want to take a crack at that one. <laughs> Yet. So one day while Terry hears these voices in the sky above while he's in his pastures. Right. He's already having a bad day because he peppered his salting eggs again. And <laughs> right. he's just like not having it. He's straight up not having a good time. Terry yelled into the air, we can hear you. The voices stopped and then they began to laugh. And then the conversation just continued on. Your goddamn voices are mocking me. <laughs> First the salt and the pepper and now this. Okay, so now we're going to talk about some UFO activity and... The dreaded cattle mutilations. I'll try to keep it as non-disturbing as possible because we love animals, and I'll say it. If a person dies in a movie, I'm cool. Yeah, who cares? But if the fucking dog dies, I am not okay. There is a list of movies I will not watch because I know that the dog dies, okay? Yeah. Don't even ask me to watch Marley and Me. Mm -mm. I'm not doing it. Uh Uh-uh. Hacksaw Ridge, I'm here for it. Marley and Me, don't you fucking (laughs) dare. You know that there's a website that will tell you if any animals die? You know how there's that website um, where it, like, tells you at one point, like, boobs are showed and stuff? No. In a movie? What? In the movie Knocked Up. That's, like, his whole thing. Seth Rogen's, remember? That's, like, an actual website, though. I never saw Knocked Up. What? No, and I also never saw Marley and Me, okay? Well, don't. Anyways, there is an actual website that, and that guy's, like, super famous from it. It like scans movies and tells you like when you'll see the boobs like Whoa. what time stamp there's also a website that does that for dead dogs and cats and animals okay that one which i love that one i like way yeah. more <laughs> yeah so it seemed to the shermans that every time they spotted something strange in the sky they'd find one of their animals mutilated on the property and it all started when one of the cows had gone missing it was a snowy day And Terry could easily track where the cow had gone because of the hoof prints in the snow. Terry didn't see any other tracks, so he didn't feel like the animal was being chased by another animal or anything. So Terry goes and he follows and he he's following these tracks until they just stop and they completely vanish almost as if something had airlifted the cow from the ground and the cow was never found. So... This sounds to me like, again, that stereotypical tractor beam situation. Right. Like it just disappears. They also found that the trees from above Mm -hmm. where the cow had been taken, the branches looked as almost as if they were like burned off and cut off. So kind of almost as if something was hovering, breaking the trees in order to get the calf. Interesting. Yes. Remember in part one where we were talking about, I, I don't remember her name. Oh, this is terrible. I don't remember her name, but I just remember her friend was Pastor Garth or Gareth or something. The um, the maker of V8. Donna Massey? Yes, Donna Massey. Yes, yes, yes. And she, and she saw in the middle of the night um, like a UFO, mm-hmm. and it had like that weird, thick yellow light. Yeah. Kind of like scanning the ground. Yeah. To me, that's a tractor it's, beam. Exactly. Yeah, yeah this that's... is totally bringing it home. Mm-hmm. 
The first cow Terry found mutilated on his land had a small hole in its left eyeball, and when he found the carcass, it was emitting a chemical-like smell. A few days later, he found another cow dead in the same manner. Curious, Terry took a wire and inserted it into the hole in the eye, and he found that the path led straight to the center of the brain of the cow. So it got lobotomized? Pretty much. Who sticks a wire in a cow head? He was curious. I guess so. Had to know. (laughs) In April 1995, Terry and Tad were busy trying to wrangle a baby calf who had separated from the herd. As they're running around trying to get this calf, they spot another cow just kind of like stuck in the mud. And they're like, okay, we'll, we'll get this calf. We'll come back. We'll rescue this other cow from the mud. Okay. So they get the calf. They come back to the cow stuck in the mud, only to find that the animal now had a seven-inch hole, one-inch deep, cored out of its rectum. What? In the time it took them to get this calf, which they say is around 20 minutes, the cow had been killed, yet no blood was found on the scene. And, I mean, again, this is the classic cattle mutilation. Exactly. There's no blood ever. Terry would also go to find another cow on his property killed in a similar way, but with an 18-inch deep hole that was cored out even further into the body. So this time taking, like, all of its organs. It's uh, sexual reproductive organs specifically. Oh, yeah. That's another cattle mutilation thing. They take, like, the asshole and then, like... (laughs) Yeah, they're yeah. sex organs. Right. It's like, I don't know what you're doing with it, but that's like the worst cut of beef, guys. <laughs> you, at least take the ribs, too, you know? <laughs> Make it worthwhile. Make some barbecue. The night before they found this calf with the 18-inch deep hole, Terry says that he saw bright yellow lights shooting around his property. On top of the 18-inch hole, the cow also had his ear removed, but in a surgical-like manner. Terry also found brown liquid on the animal, and when he touched it, he said it was cold and that it smelled like the chemical smell they had experienced with the other mutilated animals. Maple syrup. Maple syrup. (laughs) No, it was not maple syrup. (laughs) In all of the occasions that they found their cattle mutilated, no blood was found, there was a chemical odor lingering around the carcass, and there had been no sign of any animal predators, not even scavengers chewing after the fact. So the wildlife is just completely leaving this body alone. Yeah, that's another thing that is just kind of like a staple of cattle mutilations mm-hmm. is that nothing eats the, yeah. nothing eats the body. Yeah. Like it's contaminated. It's, there's something wrong right. with it. Nothing wants to touch this situation. The animals know. Right. Something's wrong with it. So there's like surgical style wounds, like like someone took a scalpel and like cut this little cow's ear off. It's all super precise. There's no blood. It's almost like sometimes we see like a cauterization of the wound. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Or it's like a hot laser cut them open. Like precisely. Yeah. It's it's really bizarre style stuff. Mm Mm-hmm. The Shermans saw multiple different crafts of all shapes and sizes and colors while living on this property, one of which looked like a refrigerator but was the size of an RV, with a white light on one end and a red light on the other end. Like headlights and taillights? Exactly. So during this time, the Sherman's nephew, who the book calls Dave, was staying with them for the summer. (laughs) Dave was... A city boy of sorts. Yeah. And was just coming to the ranch to, I don't know, rub some dirt in his wounds. And... It, yeah. I feel like <laughs> little Davy's dad was like... You need to man up, Dave. Yeah. <laughs> Go be a cattle rancher for a summer. Yeah. It was like a real Billy Elliot scene. He was yeah. like, you god damn it, Dave. Stop ballet dancing in the living room. It's time to you rub some dirt in those wounds. He's like, but daddy, I don't want to. I just want to dance. I just want to dance. But he didn't get to dance. He got to go to a fucking haunted ranch. Yeah. So Terry, Dave, and Tad are all outside one evening. It's nighttime. And they spot what they thought was an RV. Thinking it was maybe somebody who was lost or pesky hunters on the property. Because I guess people would come on the property all the time to hunt. And Terry 
did not like that. Well, it was a giant ranch, and right. people probably didn't even know that it was someone's land. Exactly. So the three of them decide that they're going to go check it out. If it's hunters, they're going to be like, yo, get the hell out. So as they approach, the RV starts to move away from them. But they realize that there's no sound coming from it, which is strange. Right. Then the RV, as it's making its way away from them, starts kind of like floating over fences and stuff. So of course they they're like at this point this isn't an RV. Like how is this RV like lifting itself off the ground to like maneuver around fences and right. stuff to like bounce over obstacles. Right. So they get they're running after this RV at this point and. The RV just kind of floats into the air and shoots up and flies away. Whoa. And this is the first alien craft that they spotted on their land. Tad and Terry just, they don't even know what to say. Dave is crying like a little bitch. Well, okay. Yeah. (laughs) He's a fucking sensitive boy. Right. I also, the book says he was only 14. So he's... He's little. Yeah, he's probably like, what the fuck, dude? I came from Salt Lake City, and all I want to do is dance. (laughs) And now I'm on this fucking gross-ass ranch, stepping in cowpaws with my dumbass fucking uncle and stupid (laughs) Tad. We're chasing RVs. I don't want to be here. Right. So after this experience, Dave leaves the ranch. Good. And his parents are like, Dave's not coming back on this ranch ever again. Dave has probably fucking PTSD at this (laughs) point. He can't look in an RV without crying. (laughs) (laughs) Mrs. Sherman, like we said before, had her fair share of encounters with the wolves and the UFOs as well. She claims that one time she was followed by a craft that was the shape of a big black triangle while she was driving on the property. When she got home, she said she looks out her window And she, too, spots the RV-type craft on her land. She claims that she could see into the craft, though, almost kind of like, I guess it had windows. Okay. And she says that she spotted a large black figure sitting behind what she said looked like a desk. All right. So this is, again, sort of like Donna Massey from part one. Right. Where she says she sees, like, shadowy figures. In in, the craft, yeah. Yeah, in the windows of this craft. Mrs. Sherman said that the figure then gets up from the desk, walks outside of the craft, and she described him as being very, very, very tall, wearing a visor and knee-high boots. Fancy. And this figure just kind of gets out of this craft, and he's just staring directly at her in the house. He unzips his fanny pack, pulls out his (laughs) chapstick, puts it on his lips, makes that, like, gross (laughs) noise. (laughs) Gets back in the craft and sits back down. Mm-hmm. Well, at this time, Mrs. Sherman is home alone. Oh, no. So she's freaked out. She calls Terry and she's like, you need to get your ass home right now. There's this weird alien man. Putting chapstick on. Putting chapstick on on our property. <laughs> so Terry comes home, rushes home. The two of them go to investigate where the craft was. It By this point, the craft's gone. It had flown away. So they go to the area to where Mrs. Sherman said it was, and they find 18-inch footprints in the mud. Like a person's footprints? Giant footprints, yeah. I guess it was, they described it as being rounded, so like rounded boots, I guess, on okay. both ends, but 18 inches large. Wow. You know what they say? Big feet, big chapstick. <laughs> you were gonna say that (laughs) the shermans would also see floating spheres all of the time in all different shapes and colors and even neighbors in the surrounding area claim to have seen these as well the shermans reported 12 different incidents where they spotted large orange circles terry claims that these orange spheres sometimes would open up and other smaller spheres would fly out Kind of like flying orange basketballs is what they described him as. So like Airbud again. Yeah. Maybe that's why the skinwalkers like to turn into Airbud. That makes sense. <laughs> These spheres, they could change shape. Sometimes they were circular. Sometimes they were flat. I guess it all depended on what angle you looked at them. Yeah, I saw that. That sometimes you could see it. Sometimes you couldn't. Like if you kind of drove like right. around it almost. You got yeah. like different views of different Well, sides. I mean, I think if like if you 
like have like your hand and you hold it like flat yeah it looks a lot thinner than if you like were to like hold it palm facing hold it palm facing out yeah yeah in the middle of this giant so terry explains that there's like a a giant orange floating thing and then Mm -hmm. smaller little orange orbs float out out of it but in the middle of the giant orange floating shape-shifting thing terry said he could see what looked like another sky like a portal? Like a portal. Terry would sometimes pull out his binoculars and look at this thing. So it would be nighttime in Utah, but then in the middle of this orange shape, he would see a bright blue daytime sky. Mr. Blue Sky. Right. So Terry believed that this was some sort of portal to another dimension, another world, a wormhole. Who knows? Oh. Something along those lines. Oh, we're going to talk about wormholes later. For sure. Um, This is really exciting. So there's a giant, like, sphere in the sky that has another sky in it, and then little basketballs come out. Yeah. So it's, like, really like a portal. And then, like, these little spheres are, like, little ships maybe coming from, like, a mothership situation. Coming to check on. Yeah, that's honestly what it sounded like to me, is that this thing kind of opens up. Yeah. And then all these little orbs shoot out, and they just kind of, like, survey the land. Yeah. Super... Super creepy. I want to see this. I know. Sounds so cool. (laughs) So all of these things are happening to the Shermans, but then things start to get bad. Oh, this was good? Well, I mean worse. (laughs) (laughs) So if you're a cattle rancher, I'm not, but if anyone listening, if you're a cattle rancher, howdy. It's not uncommon for a rancher to lose some of his herd, be it for like they get sick, other predators, like that's a common thing obviously if you have 400 cows you're bound to lose lose. exactly terry sherman however in the 20 months that they had lived on skinwalker ranch lost about 20 percent of his herd and this was very detrimental to his career right remember these cows are worth thousands of dollars right these are like premium show cattle yeah and if you lose 20 percent of them that's a pretty significant amount Mm mm-hmm So word gets out about this family and how they're experiencing all of this crazy shit on the land. And people start to become curious. Of course. And this is when a hippie man shows up on the property. Okay. It's like, this is one of my favorite stories on the property, by the way. Okay. Terry and his son meet this man at the gate. I believe I read somewhere that he had like long blonde hair. So we're going to picture him wearing like bell bottoms oh yeah a tie-dye shirt for sure flip-flops flip-flops long like gorgeous blonde hair it is flowing <laughs> he's probably got like those round hippie sunglasses definitely does quintessential you know? hippie he's got like right. the vest on maybe some fringe fringe oh, optional he totally has a vest it's suede we know yeah. that yeah for sure yeah so terry and tad meet this man at the gate and he tells them that he heard through the grapevine that this place was special. And he asks them if he can come into the land and meditate for a bit. Heard it through the great man. <laughs> Terry is just kind of like, okay, sure. Like, get in the truck. I'll drive you around the <laughs> land. You pick a spot wherever you want to go. Sure. That's honestly so nice of him. Right, yeah. This dude rolls up like straight up dirty foot, smelly hippie <laughs> man with a fringe vest. And he's like, hey, brother, can I like meditate on your land and terry's just like sure (laughs) all right terry cool they drive around for a bit until the stranger points to a spot and he's like there that's that's the spot that's where i want to meditate so they pull up to this spot and it's near a grove of trees the hippie man gets out he sits down um, uh, probably crosses his legs oh yeah he starts his meditation full lotus yes Meanwhile, Terry and Tad are just kind of sitting back, I'm assuming probably by the truck, just watching this guy like, what the hell is this guy doing? Yeah. Terry's like, all right, look at that man, Tad. (laughs) Now, you want to grow up and be the exact opposite of this guy. (laughs) So a few minutes pass by and Terry and Tad start to hear a noise. Sounds like a cowbell, but Terry's cows didn't wear bells. It's Will Ferrell. (laughs) Shouting more cowbell. In the distance. Yes. And up from the ridge pops a man. (laughs) I'm just kidding. 
all of a sudden, they hear this noise. Terry spots something moving in the trees. And he's watching it. And as this thing gets closer and closer to this meditating man, Terry couldn't really make out what the creature was, even though it was daytime. They should have been able to see it, you know, very clearly. Right. Instead, what they see is kind of like a shimmering figure. And the best way that anyone, I mean, I've listened to a lot of podcasts who did this. I've read stories, you know, the hunt for the skinwalker. Everyone describes it this way. And it's just the only way you can describe it. So the shimmering figure is kind of like the predator in the predator movies when he puts on his invisibility mode and you can see him, but you can't really see him, but you can see like his shimmering shape moving. Yeah, it's like movie magic where you have to know someone is there. Right. But you can't show them. So exactly. it's like a weird like heat wave version of their right. outline. Or like Harry Potter in his invisibility cloak. Yeah. <laughs> and he actually, puts it on. Um in the book, The Hunt for the Skinwalker, that's how they describe it. Like Harry Potter. Pre Harry Potter. They invented Harry Potter. They're like <laughs> Now imagine that a young wizard boy who was raised by muggles, he he puts on some sort of cloak that his deceased father has given him. <laughs> it, it looked exactly like that. That's how they describe uh, it in the book. Exactly. That's like word for word how they say it in the book. Okay, so Predator, Harry Potter, cloak, whatever this <laughs> thing's wearing. All right. This is what they see. And they can't make out what it is. They just know that it's big. Whatever form it is, it's like a big form. Meanwhile, this hippie man is mid-meditation. He has no idea. He doesn't hear the sounds. He doesn't know that this invisible predator-like creature is running towards him. Extremely fast, by the way. Mm -hmm. Before Terry can warn this man, the creature stops in front of him and lets out a huge growl roar. So, like, in this man's face, like, his blonde hair blows back. <gasps> he falls backwards. He screams. And then the creature just runs back into the trees. Holy shit. Yeah. Terrified, this man cries. And he runs to Terry. And he's, like, holding on to Terry. He's, like, pleading with him to take him back. Like, crying. Whatever. You know, he's scared of shit. So, Terry takes him back. And that's the last time we've... Terry sees the predator-like creature. Okay. That's horrifying. Yeah. In May of 1996, just two years after the Shermans had initially moved onto the property, the Shermans experienced something that finally led them to vacate the property forever. The family started to notice small glowing blue balls the size of baseballs floating around the property. This is like Airbud 2, where he <laughs> starts doing baseball instead of basketball. <laughs> right, right. These balls gave off a crackling like sound and seemed to be of an intelligent nature. The balls looked as if there was a swirling blue liquid inside of them. On this evening, the Shermans watched as one of these balls came up to one of their horses. It spooks the horse, and Gwen. They're sitting on the porch. Gwen shines a flashlight at it, and then it flies over to them. Mm -hmm. The ball sort of like moves around Terry, almost as if it's analyzing him. All of a sudden, Terry and Gwen said that a great sense of fear just overcame both of them. They were so terrified. Terry said it was the most frightened he had ever been in his life. Wow. Gwen finally gets her bearings. She shines the light on the orb again, and it takes off and flies away. Terry had his three dogs with him and he tells the dogs to go get it. So the three dogs run out of sight, following this blue ball into the woods at Terry's request. The Shermans hear three yelps. They call for the dogs, but the dogs don't come. No. I know. Fearing the worst, the Shermans decided to just to go to bed They'll look for the dogs in the morning. It's nighttime, so they go to bed. And I'm sorry, if it were my dog, I, number one, would not tell them to go follow the alien sphere. And I, if I heard a, like, a yelp, I would be out in the woods looking for my dog. Oh, for sure. I would not go to sleep. Like, my dogs are my children, so. No, but at this point, from kind of how they describe it in Hunt for the Skinwalker, it's like Terry mm. is fucking done with this shit. True, yeah. He's like, just over it. Yeah, he's so over it. And every time these spears come up and every time strange things happen, his three little dogs, which 
are like little cattle dogs. Yeah. Um, are like barking and going nuts. And he kept them safe for, I mean, two years. And he's just finally like, you know what? Fuck it. And sends Go. the dogs. Yeah. And I'm sure he regrets it. Yeah. The next day, the Shermans wake up and they go search for the dogs. They don't find the dogs. However, they find three burned circles into the ground. And in the middle of these circles is what they describe as a greasy blob that looks like shortening or butter. I've also read that it looked brown, like a brown greasy blob. Yeah. But I mean, I guess we can deduce that the... These are the dogs. Right. You know. There's three of them and right. like they got burned. Like laser beamed or whatever. Melted. Melted, yeah. At this point, the Shermans have just had enough. And Terry said, we just couldn't go on without our dogs. And at this point, he's fearing for the safety of his family too. Right. I mean, your dogs just got melted. Yeah. So right. what would they do to you? During the Shermans' two years on the ranch... Everyone in the family experienced violent and extreme nightmares that they later discovered they were all having the same ones. Whoa. The two children, before they moved onto the property, were mm-hmm. honor students, and now they were doing very poorly in school. No. Because it doesn't sound that like the Shermans were getting a lot of sleep. Right, for sure. I read somewhere that they actually had all decided to sleep on the front porch. Really? Like together, yeah, because they, towards the end, they were just so scared. Oh, so they all like kind of, I mean, mm-hmm. that makes sense. Your kitchen cabinets are opening and closing right. in the middle of the night. Yeah. Like you don't want to be away from your family. So yeah. you probably all just like sign style hunker together. That's exactly, yeah. Mrs. Sherman also lost her job at the local bank because of her continuous absences and because of her crazy stories. That's sad. The Sherman story first appeared in the Salt Lake City, Utah Deseret newspaper. And then George Knapp and Colm Kelleher got wind of the story. And this is when they go to write The Hunt for the Skinwalker, which is our source of basically where we got yeah, it's our almost main everything source. from. On their last day at the ranch, the Shermans, they're packing up. They go to sleep. They wake up the next morning to blood everywhere. What? They awoke to find that they both had a one-eighth inch deep scoop mark in both, in the same place on both of their right thumbs. It's like a little alien parting gift. (laughs) Okay. I just, honestly, I'm so sorry. This is so gross. But I just fucking threw up in my mouth. I'm not even exaggerating. You swallowed it? Yes, I swallowed (laughs) it. A fucking scoop mark and... Mm-hmm. An eighth inch, I'm going to throw up. Yeah. Ugh, I can't even get a hangnail without, like, wanting to throw <laughs> up. Can you imagine having fucking a scoop? <laughs> Do your, does, is it, like, your hands? Is that what's freaking you? Because it's on your Yes. I can't handle, like, <laughs> I'm freaking out. I can't yes. handle, like, in movies where, like, they torture people. I could do the torture. I was going to say, care. have you seen Black Swan? <gasps> And they, like, pull out the fingernails. Yeah, when she, like, rips. Oh, I can't handle it. <laughs> I can't handle it. Or, like, when people pull off their toenails, like, the ballerina style Ugh. thing. Yeah. No. I cannot no. handle finger stuff. Chop off my whole hand. I'll be fine. Really? Pull off my fucking fingernail. <laughs> I cannot handle it. You know when you get your nails done and, like, they cut. Yeah. Sometimes, like, we'll cut, like, yes. your cuticle. Yes. I instantly am like, I gotta go. <laughs> I can't handle it. I don't know what it is. Well, that's a great thing that I never knew about you. That maybe I'll, I, I guess, torture me? Use against you sometime? No, You're I'm just a kidding. monster. Anything else, rip my teeth out, <laughs> cut my nostrils. I don't care. Leave my fucking fingers alone. Oh, man. So everyone knows kind of what's going on. The Shermans, are mo- they move out, and they're kind of like, what are we going to do with this property? Who are we going to sell it to? You know, they didn't want to sell it to another cattle rancher because the same shit's just going to happen to them. Right. They don't want to be responsible for, like, ruining another family's life, you know? Mm-hmm. The Shermans were contacted by a billionaire named Robert Bigelow, who's a huge believer in ufology and actually the founder of the National Institute of Discovery Science. Robert bought the property for $200,000, which is less than the Shermans paid for it. 
And the Shermans were actually made to sign a non-disclosure agreement that prohibited them from making any further statement about the ranch. Terry also sold Bigelow a select herd of cattle and was actually hired on as an overseer. That's, you know what, let's call it. Yeah, I think this is a good stopping point. Unless we want to make this episode three hours. We don't want a three-hour episode. We don't. So we're going to call it here, um, and we will pick right back up with the Robert Bigelow saga next week. The Robert Bigelow saga. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. um, So, yeah. Tune in next week for us to discuss the final chapter of our Skinwalker Ranch series. If you like what you heard, please rate, review, subscribe. Um, We're on Apple iTunes. You can leave us a a subscription. You can go on Stitcher and tell us how boring we are. Yeah, let us know how boring we are. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Yeah, and if you have any Skinwalker Ranch stories. We have a super dope one for next week. Yeah, we're going to read it this week. But again, we don't want a three-hour episode, so we're going to slice this one up. But let us know if you've been there, if you're from the area, if you have any stories, if you just want to put in some input, let us know. You can email us at quiteunusualpod at gmail.com or you can hit us up on the social medias. Social medias. On the social medias. Um, We're on Twitter. We're on Facebook like a thousand times. We're on MySpace. We're on (laughs) Instagram. Please don't contact us on MySpace. (laughs) Don't stop plugging MySpace. I'm never going to stop plugging MySpace. As a platform for people to I will put you in our top eight. If you contact oh, me on MySpace. If you write us a story about Skinwalker Ranch or the Utah Basin, You're, you will be number one. You'll be number two because Tom from MySpace is number one. Oh, well, yeah. He's everyone's number one. You have to. You'll be number two on you, our top eight. Yeah. You'll be number two on the MySpace top eight. <laughs> um, so hit us up. Let us know if you have a cool story. Um, it doesn't have to be about Skinwalker Ranch also. If you just want to tell us about your yeah. creepy crawlies. Let us know. We also have merch. Sure do. So if you want a sick-ass, quite unusual shirt, you can rep us. You want a dog hoodie? We have dog hoodies. I haven't I haven't bought one yet, but I will. It's, yeah. it's sweater weather, so Aww. a dog's going to need it. For your chihuahuas. Yes. Um, you can find that link on our, our bio, our Instagram bio. If you just search quite unusual on teespring.com, you can find it that way. You can find it in our groups. Come hang with us on in our Facebook group. We got a lot of cool people in there. Yeah, we're like on all the social medias and junk and whatever. So yeah. just like hit us up, I guess. Um, but we're just, like I said, we're going to end it here. We're slicing it. Tune in next week for the final chapter of the quite unusual saga of the Skinwalker Ranch. Yeah. And celebrate the strange. And keep it unusual while you're at it. Bye. Bye.